Hi Venters, welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host Freddie Cocker and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. My special guest for today's episode is an entrepreneur and business owner. Tunde Ogensina is the founder and CEO of Forest Collard, a brand and influencer marketing agency that strives to help their clients connect with their target audience using real, authentic content tailored to their unique needs while staying ahead of the curve. In this episode, we discuss Tunde's business journey and how he came up with the idea of Forest Collard and taking that leap into making his dream a reality the transactional nature of a lot of relationships in the industry he works in, getting on 2023's Forbes 30 under 30 list, and why it was actually a validation tool he was seeking and has been seeking at other points in his life. We discuss that desire for validation and how he manages it on a day-to-day basis. For Tunde's mental health, we talk about bullying he went through in his childhood for his race and being intellectual at school, and a couple of horrific incidents he went through as well. We also talk about the importance of meeting two people in his life, Chris and Priye, and why meeting them was the key moment to getting to where he is today. So this is how my conversation with Tunde Ogunsina went. Tunde, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. Thank you for letting me check in with you and coming in to my flat in London to record this. The last time we saw each other was the last Just Checking In live event. Yes, it was. So, how are you? How did you find it? Give me some good feedback. I am. <laughs> you can give some constructive feedback if you want. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. It's been a long weekend already. But yeah, the event was good. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I think we got there a bit late because when we got there, it was... You got post bands, you saw. Yeah. yeah you you it, came just for the DJ sets. It was yeah. so busy in there. I, I couldn't believe how many people were in there. But everyone loved it. Everyone I spoke to about it was like, this is so sick. So yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. And Lloyd didn't think I was going to enjoy it at first. I was like, no, 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 I actually, like, I wanted to go close to the front. It's like, really? I was like, yeah, I do. Um, but yeah, it was good fun. So thank you for having me there. Yeah. No problem. I'm hoping you can come to the next one. It'll be, uh, the bands will be a bit more uh, alt poppy, shall we say. We'll <laughs> okay, give a tease, give a tease on, the, on this okay, podcast. Okay. I'm really pleased to be giving your platform your business shot, sorry, I should say, a platform, mate, and the experiences and challenges we spoke about off air. You had a lot of similarities to the event journey as well. So without further ado, are you ready to start the show? A hundred percent. Let's go for it. I want to start your pod by talking about your journey in business and your baby that you've created in Forest Collard. It's got the same initials as mine, actually, when we think about it. Oh, wow, yeah, it does. (laughs) (laughs) I was reading the audio in the morning. I was like, it's got the same initials as mine. Take me back to the beginning. Yes. So where did you find the inspiration for this idea, you know, the inspiration behind the name, and how did you turn the dream into reality? Okay, so... I've told the story a million times. I know you have. I know you have. <laughs> Let's get this spiel out of the way. And my team hate it. Okay, so basically, I met some guys when I was working in construction. I used to work in construction. And they told me they ran a music festival. And that was like, to me back then, like just having gone to university, not knowing anything about celebrity influence world, being told about a job that just wasn't sold to me as like something I could be doing was so interesting. I met them, met loads of influencers while I work with them and they sort of like sparked my dream for social media, influencers, creating content, being in front of the camera, being behind the camera, all of that stuff. What do you prefer? I, you know what? I actually think it's quite split in between because I've mm. been creative director before and I loved doing that, like mm. being the person that decides how the shoot's going to go. But also being the person in the shoot, I did mm-hmm. something for Bentley like last year and like it was so cool like being the model like you, you're literally treated like royalty that's actually quite a nice part of it actually probably maybe more in front of the cameras what I prefer. okay but yeah I was doing all of that and I ended up leaving what I was doing and I had some friends we were all quite depressed at the same time we all mm-hmm. thought we want to do something together and then we went on a, on a trip 
and that's what like sparked a ski trip. A ski trip, yeah. 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 We went skiing for six days in the, in France. What a dream, mate. Oh, let's just go on a trip. Let's <laughs> yeah. turn it into a brand trip. Oh, what yeah. a dream. God. And yeah, did that. Really was like, wow, I can really do this. Reached out to loads of brands. They gave they, you the confidence. Gave me the yeah. confidence, yeah. yeah. The brand said yes, gave us products, gave us money to like pay for certain parts of the trip. The trip ended up being free and all the influencers that I took with me all like got like, free products. We created content in exchange for the brands. And then that's where the idea, we had no name then. It's not till after that we had a name and COVID hit and the rest is pretty much history. When you say the rest is history, did COVID stop becoming the reality or was COVID the spark? COVID (laughs) was the spark. So my very first campaign was all paid campaign outside of the trip was a music campaign. Mm -hmm. And normally music do do a lot of like events. So inviting influencers to the gigs or inviting influencers. All those guest list tickets. Yeah. (laughs) You ain't ain't getting on my guest list. I'm telling you that for free. Story of my life. Last minute as well. Yeah, trust me. Always. Trust me. Me plus five. No, you can't plus five. <laughs> and everything was all digital. So my friend asked me at labels, I can see you've got this like influence army behind you. Mm-hmm. Do you mind asking them to post this like song, like 15 seconds of this song to their Instagram story, putting a swipe up link on Instagram and it was swipe up links back then. And um, Did you like the song? You know what? I didn't at first. Right. But because I then worked with it, you just hear it every Spoken like day. a true PR, man. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true yeah. CEO. <laughs> I just ended up liking it. And because I then got to meet the artist as well, like mm-hmm. the love for the artist that I had as well. It does almost music. make the song sound yeah, better sometimes. Like really when, you know, when you're genuinely have a connection with like, and I had this with the artists that I interview. Yeah. I don't interview anyone that I don't like. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But sometimes when they put a new song out, I might like, like it subconsciously yeah. more mm-hmm. just because it's like the, the I know they put a lot of work exactly. into it and I know how much they're passionate exactly about it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so then they jumped on it, then the label asked me to do another job and another job and then other labels in the Momentum. Was, yeah, the yeah. momentum just started building and building and building and like COVID will always be my saving grace. It wow. Always, it was, what it, line? Yeah. There's a line for this podcast. <laughs> COVID will be a, a saving grace. Take back to the moment when you actually decided to quit your main full-time job at the time and give this an actual go because that's a very big step to do. Yeah. It's a very step out of your comfort zone financially, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I will always be an advocate to anyone that I know. If, if they're doing something they don't like and there's something they do love doing, I'll always say go for it until there's that moment where you literally can't do what you're... Both. Yeah. yeah at the same time. At yeah, the same yeah, time. Yeah. So... I was obviously in construction and I was working at Batsy Power Station and anyone who knows me today would look at me and be like, you worked in construction. Like, <laughs> I love... We're all about breaking stereotypes on <laughs> yeah, this podcast yeah. today. All about breaking stereotypes. I love buildings, construction. Like, I really had a passion for it. You're a Lego I mean, man as a boy? Or? Oh, yeah, I love yeah, yeah. Lego. Yeah, mate. Yeah. I was at Legoland all the time as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Like, I studied at university, did a master's in it. Didn't want to necessarily do the structural side of it, mm-hmm. like actually designing, but mm-hmm. I wanted to see something come to life from beginning to end and sort of like mm. manage that process almost like the architectural side rather than the engineering side so to speak e- even further than that so like i'd like to be the one that everyone reported to so like when i then did my graduate scheme i worked for a project management company mm-hmm. so we were the ones that everyone had to report to and then we then relay all that information back to the you like that stress i loved you? i loved it <laughs> i loved it because i just love people i love liaising mm-hmm. with people i love that communication piece so yeah i was doing that at battersea and amazing project to work on and more and more, I just started to care more about like how I looked to right. go to work. Like I'd wear like really like out there suits. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't wear like a like a plain colour suit. I wear like checked. I had this Vivian Westwood suit which was like purple and and navy blue. Like I've got that vision of the advert <laughs> of those. What those well dressed men in Congo? Do you know the ones in the suits? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, so. I've just got a vision of you just like <laughs> yeah. a big like green number, yeah. dappered up. Honestly, <laughs> even when I had my interview, I remember walking into the office. I was going to the races afterwards, so I had my interview in the morning, and I wanted to wear that same suit to the races. And I remember walking in there, and they walk you through the office, and everyone was just staring at me. I thought, wow, I'm not getting a job at <laughs> all. I literally did not think I was going to get it. But yeah, I was starting to care more about one how I looked, and two how I can sort of be more involved in how things looked rather than how things. Ah, oh, yeah, it's like yeah. so. With Apple, they were one of our clients at the time. They were just always so innovative and like forward thinking. I really wanted to just work more and more and more with those sorts of people because when I started there, I was working on like the infrastructure, roads, drainage. As much as obviously I know that's needed, and it, and it was fun because was, it was fun to learn a lot. But there was definitely more stuff I wanted to get my hands like involved mm. with and really explore my creative side. And those opportunities weren't necessarily being fed to me, so I started to just resent my job not really enjoy mm. it and luckily the boys that i met came at that at very at that very time 
and then obviously COVID here and things just changed so much. And then I was trying to do both at the same time. Mm. And then I remember one morning I got a job from the same guy gave me the first job. And it's like, turned out I need 50 influencers to jump on this track and I need it to turn around by lunchtime. And I had a deadline for my actual job and I just couldn't do both. I literally remember just calling my manager and be like, I quit. I literally quit that very on the phone. Well, there wasn't like a one month notice period or anything. Because was... I was still technically on my graduate scheme. So right. you could just... Well, you could just yeah. jump off any time. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that's <laughs> suit, suit you, suit you, definitely. Let's talk about how you built this brand now, because you've alluded to it a little bit already. How did you get that influencer army, first of all? Because, you know, I imagine those brands wouldn't have paid you if you hadn't had no, the, the, yeah. the backup, the foundation to go from. And how did you manage the tradition, the transition, sorry, from a mental health perspective, from a startup to a scale up to where it is now? Yeah, so building the army, I guess, sort of like came to me without really knowing that it was coming. So uh, what position to be in? <laughs> let, me, let me explain. What a well-connected position to be in. So with the festival stuff, they asked me to sort of like help with the guest list. As right. in the like, so if somebody comes to the guest list, just tick them their names off, let them in, give them the wristband, blah, 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 manage that whole process. But I'm quite a friendly person. So like every person I did meet, I tried to have a conversation with them, get to know them. Mm-hmm. And like, if they really need something during the festival, I'd help them and sort of like build a rapport with them whilst they mm-hmm. were there. Some of these people end up being my friends. Then invite me back out. Like when we went back to London, then some people would like invite me out on nights out. And I'll be honest, I used to be like a Mayfair boy. I used to like go to like, all these clubs in London. And, like, what, trying to watch? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. All the tables. And, tape. Yeah, oh, tape, liberty, all, all of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was meeting people all the time, all the time, all the time. And there was no like motive behind like being friends with these people that it was just because they were nice to me i was nice back and yes they were influencers but i didn't think anything of it because that's not i didn't know i wanted to have an agent at that time so mm-hmm. it was just like these people were just nice i was nice back so we just ended up being mm-hmm. friends and like, all my friends from like back home would always say to me like how on earth are you friends with these people and it's like i don't really see that side to them because i guess in the space where i did meet them they didn't need to be those people right. around me. So like, I didn't ever see that side. I didn't mm. see the influencer side of them. Mm. I just saw like the real versions of them. And then they were inviting me out more and more and more. Then I was meeting their friends and their friends and their friends. And then before you knew it, like I knew so many influencers. I was getting invited to events. I was getting invited to parties and so on. So like, I was just meeting people left, right, and center. And I just love meeting people and just, that's your bread and butter. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I just, I just love meeting new mm. people. And when it comes to building the infrastructure of Forest Collard, how did you a go about finding out about the finance options you needed? You know, learning about HR, legal, and everything else. I imagine you needed to do yourself yeah, before yeah, you delegated yeah. it to other people. That's a big challenge. Yeah, everything I learned was definitely like I learned it like as I went on. I had yeah. no idea what I was doing. Luckily, my dad is a, a chartered accountant, so he heavily helped me like logging onto a company's house, mm-hmm. registering, VAT registering, all of that stuff, <laughs> all the important stuff, yeah, all the, the tax important stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my dad, my dad helped me with that, but I honestly was winging it. Same. That's what I've been I doing for the last five years. All my all my clients for the first year, at the very least, didn't sign a single contract with no one. Like mm. not a single contract. And to be signed. fair, a lot of the industry is based on trust anyway. Yeah, a lot of music industry is based yeah, on yeah, trust. Yeah, yeah, so, really yeah. It really is. Really, yeah. really is. So everything I learned on the move, on the go. I did watch a couple of YouTube videos here and there, and then I did have some like mentors that, well, like people that had done business before, and and I had just gone and asked them for advice, and whenever I needed something, they sort of helped. So that was quite, I was quite lucky to have mm. that. I mean, everything I learned, I learned on the move as I was growing. The failure rate for startups in the first three years is 60%, according to a website I yeah. found online. I think it was a business insolvency helpline or something like that. So I imagine that figure is even higher in some countries. It might be lower in some countries. How did you make sure that Forest Collard didn't become a part of that statistic? Well, I'll be honest. I don't think I actively tried not right. to okay. be part of that statistic. <laughs> but... It's pros and cons of that. Yeah, <laughs> but what I can say is... Because we actually celebrated our third year anniversary on Tuesday just mm-hmm. gone. So we've actually now passed that mark. Thank you. What I can say is one thing that I really needed to start doing was just listening to other people. Because it was my baby, my business, I wanted everything to be my way. And... I learned that like it's good to hire people that can teach you something because mm-hmm. you're then learning different styles, different ways of working. And it wasn't until that moment I was like, wow, like if I've continued being this, how you do it, this, how you do it, this, how you do it, people are one, not going to want to work for me. Mm-hmm. And two, 
I'm never going to learn how I can be strategic and do things in different ways mm-hmm. and just and evolve like my ways of thinking, my ways of working and learning. So that was what really, I think, got me through, like just listening to other people and allowing people to do things their own way because it could be beneficial. And autonomy, to, giving them yeah, autonomy. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. We both know that men are very purpose-driven. We yeah. need a purpose in life. We need a why. If we don't have a why, we don't have a how, yeah. we don't have anything else. Yeah, yeah. When your work is now your purpose, yeah. A, what are the positives of that? first of all, and B, how can that sometimes be a negative if, say, your identity becomes it's so into Like, my identity is a lot of it is entwined with Venn, yeah. but it's not my full-time job yet. Yeah. But it is yours. Yeah, yeah, so how yeah, do you yeah. manage that? Gosh, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, positives, because it's now my purpose. Yes. I guess the positives are that I now eat, breathe, sleep this company. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because it is now who I am, everything I do for it just comes from like the heart and people mm, can the really, passion. Yeah, people can no passion, really no see point, that. No passion, no point, as Barry Hearn says. People really see the love I have for it. And I think that is why I have won a lot of work because I don't see it as like, whenever I work with people, I try not to see it as like B2B. I like mm-hmm. to see it as like, I am working with my friend. Mm-hmm. And when I work with my friend, I now want to, it doesn't become work. Yeah, you know it doesn't become yeah. work. But then also you, you then don't want to let your friend down either. Yes. So like you are already working to, not necessarily to prove to them that you can do the work, but like mm-hmm. you just don't want to, you don't want to let them down. Because yeah, yeah, of course. It's, it's like that. that, that Gives you that extra yeah, bit of purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then negatives, I would say, I then can be really obsessed with mm. it. And sometimes I just don't know when to like take a break and just let go. And... <laughs> or day off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I'm sure after this, I'm going to go home and I'm just going to do a bit of work before... <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I guess as well, when you were doing it before this became your full time, yeah. it didn't feel like work, even when you were doing work on a weekend. Like for me, like writing running orders with Van yeah, and doing yeah, this podcast, yeah. I'm doing it on a weekend right now. Yeah. You know, it is work, yeah. but it's not work to me. No, not at all. So at all. when that becomes blurred, it, I guess it does become hard to sort of yeah, take a break. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Very hard, very hard. When it comes to industry issues, I've talked to a lot of artists, so it's really good to be talking to someone in the industry that isn't, say, an artist, so yeah. to speak, an artist in music, music <laughs> yeah. artist. Now you're an artist yeah, in the creative side. No, <laughs> no, that, don't get on to me, artist, please. <laughs> the first one you wanted to discuss is a fake nicety yeah. that, that lurks and yeah. creeps and corrupts the industry mm. where it emerges, man. Obviously, I don't want to make you lose any of your relationships you have, but just tell me about how you manage this as a CEO and a creative. It's just... How um, do you spot it as well, by the way? Because mm, some people are better at it than others. Yeah. Do you know what? It's a weird one because... Okay, so obviously, when I first started noticing it, obviously, I was so new to it. And obviously, no one ever teaches you anything. Yes. It's just like, if you get sucked into... Not sucked into it, but if you get like put into it, you're in it. And then mm. you're, you're just immersed in it, right? Mm. And I'm always nice. Sometimes I can be overly nice. Sometimes I... I love a WhatsApp. Everything's over email, but as soon as I can get onto WhatsApp and have mm-hmm. a call someone, I like doing that because it just adds that extra layer to mm-hmm. like a working relationship with them. And sometimes people will do that back because just because they want something for you. From yes, you, the or, transactional yeah, side. Yeah. Or make things cheaper, mm-hmm. so then you don't necessarily get your take, worth. Yeah, get, yeah, get your yeah, worth. Yeah. And it started to happen a couple of times. It's sort of as the brands become bigger, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just sort of have to sort of. Keep it at arm's length sort of thing? Keep it at arm's length. Yeah. My cousin came on board and she was in our hair and operations and she started to notice it more. And she was like, you've really just got to like put your foot down sometimes. You can't always over deliver for the sake of like wanting to work with someone again in the future because if they really valued your work... They would do. They yeah. will do, yeah. right? Because I used to always over deliver. Always. Always, mm-hmm. always. I mean, I still do now, but like I think there are times where you can and should do that. And there are times where it's like, if they are... They're not giving that back. Yeah, then don't do that. Do the service that they've asked for and, and, and move on from it. When you went from working with purely your friends yes. to now this big suite of professional contacts you have, yeah. did it change anything at all? Did it change the love that you had or did you have to just develop that new skill set, essentially? The love that I had for the business or...? Just the start of it, when it was just a hobby and it was just that hustle, that side hustle. I mean, yes, it did because I guess because we are now more corporate and more like there's contracts and there's legal and there's lawyers mm. and there's accounting systems, there's all of this. It's a lot of admin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so at the beginning, it was just like money in, influencers, do the creative, money out. Now there's so much like forecasting and having to employ someone. Like, what are the overheads and mm. so on? And there's so much more now to consider having a business. 
that side of it is the stuff that makes you feel like, oh, I wish I wasn't really doing this because mm. I'd just rather be like more of a front man and like mm. doing more of like winning the work and actually... The schmoozer CEO yeah, yeah. rather than the admin CEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's that side of it that I guess, not that I've lost love for, it's just something that I just don't enjoy. I don't think much. anyone truly enjoys yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you ever kind of pinpointed how or why people can become, say, corrupted by fame or clout or when they come into an industry and they can be very, very nice and then they can be in it for a few years and they, they just suddenly turn into a different person. Have yeah. you, I mean, there's obviously been loads of podcasts and books written about the power of fame, but have you got a perspective on that as to how it changes people? Yes, I do. I have had friends come and go, like friends who are like my best friends come mm. and go and may not explicitly say, but actually show that like, because I am not as... In quote, and you're doing air quotes right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not as famous as they are. Feel like I am not worthy of their friendship. Worthy of their friendship. But then, I was always fucking pricks, mate. What, <laughs> I was always that person that I guess. Well, it felt, and we'd always spoke about that, like grounded people. Mm-hmm. And then when you then look from the outside, and now sometimes with this these people that we're no longer friends, I'm really seeing that. Wow, like they've let this the monster. fame, yeah, like the fame really monster. take over them because what happens is once you get it, you then don't want to let go of it. It's like a drug. And then once yeah. it goes, that's when problems start to happen because you're so used to something, being in the public eye, being in people's mouths, being in people's lips, like being on TV, being on the internet, like so much. Once it's gone, you're like, where are all these people? Your brand deals stop coming in. No one really wants to work with you. And that can be quite depressing because that was your source of income. And you've and some people mm. then feel like that they've missed an opportunity and they've got nothing to really fall back on. So when relevance is your identity, when yeah. you become irrelevant yeah. to this this side of life, yeah, yeah, yeah. that can destroy people, can't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to move on to something now that was a massive positive for you today in the beginning, but underneath it, there's definitely some issues, which yeah. is the idea of validation yeah. and you wanting to seek validation. Yeah. So just tell me about how this concept's affected your mental health. Um, validation. So I guess way back when I was in school, I was bullied quite a bit. And from being bullied, there was a lot of different things in school where I just wanted to always prove to people that people I, please, mate. Yeah. yeah, bullied kids normally are people pleasers yeah. in recovery, yeah. and just show people that I can be someone that can be nice to. I guess if that mm. makes sense. I remember, like in year nine, our school, we get the opportunity to be ball boys for mm-hmm. Wimbledon. All the cool kids were doing it. All the kids that I guess were the people that were bullying me as well. They were all doing it, and. I did the trials for it, didn't get into it for the first round. The reasons why I wanted to do it was one, to be in that cool circle and two, show people that I can actually do this. The first trials didn't get in, absolutely gutted because I thought I'm back to square one in like my school life. Going home that weekend and just training, my, my church had like this like big gym, it's weird that the church is a gym. But, <laughs> hey, that's uh, good positive, that's <laughs> yeah, positive, yeah. that's a positive church. And I remember just training in there like on both the days and I went back in school the next day, I was like, my PT just called Mr. Edwards and I said to him, please, like you've got to let me try in front of you again, like, I really want to do this. And I tried in front of him and he was quite happy, so he put me forward to the actual official trials mm-hmm. at Wimbledon and I got selected and... That was probably one of the first moments in my life where I was like, I'm doing this because I want everyone else to see that I can do this. It's not necessarily for me. It's because I want to feel like I'm part of the cool Mm. crew. Was it still a turning point in regards to an achievement though? And the fact that you put the work in and then, you know, you failed initially, but then you tried again and you succeeded. Was that still positive? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. That that was still positive. You couldn't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, I get you. You were recently also put on Forbes magazine, 30 Under 30, which (laughs) for the listeners, you actually have to apply for, which broke my my heart a little bit. (laughs) Just tell me first how it felt for you to get on the list as a personal and a professional chief. I've only got one year left to get on it, so I better be applying soon. (laughs) Yes. I'd grown up knowing it and I didn't really start hearing about it till just maybe like one or two years, like after getting a job, after university. Um, And I'd always seen it and I'd always dreamt, like if I was to ever land on one of these lists, like it really would be like a pivotal moment. But again, I was never in a creative sphere because a lot of it was for creatives. I mean, there was like, there's like a financial services sector, but I'd never really seen those. I'd only ever really seen the marketing one or the music one Mm -hmm. or the celebrities one. I remember the first year of having the agency, one of my competitors got on the list. I was like, I need to get on this list because they're like my, like one of my... You're comparing yourself to them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And the year after, 
another competitor got on there and I, like there's literally three of us who like everyone always talks about and they got on the list and I was thinking wow they are all now getting on this list like what am I doing wrong and then for this year so we have like a PR person and she put me forward for it and then you have to get someone else outside of what you do needs to put you forward well not outside of what you do but someone that doesn't look- like a sponsor yeah it has to, yeah, has to yeah. like recommend you as well so I someone recommend me and then, then you just don't hear anything. Then I got an email saying, oh, Tunde, like we see that you got recommended by someone to be on this list. We'd love to interview you. I got a call from their team. And the email didn't come from like an at Forbes email. It came from like a Gmail. So I thought it was fake at first. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> don't click on it. Don't yeah. click on it. <laughs> I then found out they're all freelancers who do the lists. Mm-hmm. And the person who's got a Forbes email is the person who's in charge of all the freelancers. Right. I then later found out. So I had a phone call, just interviewed us with different questions, just, just like this actually about my business journey. Then I had to write like a like a 12 page like document. God, quite heavy yammy. Yeah, process, quite, isn't it? it's really heavy. And that was in December. Then it's literally the second you submit, radio silence. Not even a thank you for submitting email. Right. None of that. Radio silence. I think we're in March. I think it was March. Yeah, mid- mid- middle March. I remember just being in bed and I woke up. I woke up a lot earlier than normal. And I remember getting an email and it was like, Welcome to Forbes, and I thought, I'm definitely dreaming. I like pinch myself, like proper pinch myself. And I went to the website, I opened my laptop, I went to the website, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there is my face on this list. And just to be amongst like all those other people, oh, it was the best feeling in the world. That whole day, not a single thing could get in my way. Like, I was so <laughs> over the moon and so happy. It was honestly the best feeling ever getting on that mm. list. Like to know that I've like, finally done it and especially the last year I could possibly do because I'm 30 in December so this is the last time I could get on that list. <laughs> There's a last chance to leave. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. One interesting thing that you said to me off air despite all this positive and this yeah. euphoria that you'd gone through is that when you were receiving your metaphorical flowers as we, as we say for yes. getting the award from other people every time you said thank you you saw the faces of the people who had yeah. bullied you. How did yeah, that feel? Um... I guess in hindsight, quite sad because, again, I've always just been someone that I just like to prove people wrong or... Prove yourself right? Prove myself right, mm-hmm. yeah. And I also, I guess parts of me were like, I want you to know that whatever you did to me back then, like, this is what you've turned me now into. If that makes sense? Mm-hmm. So, like, all these people that... In a like, good way. In a good so, way, in yeah, a good way. Yeah. So, like... If anything, I wanted them to sort of like regret that they bullied me because now look look what you've done. But at the same time, I don't know why I'm thinking about them and I should be thinking about all the people that mm-hmm. are, congrat- are congratulating mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Because this life journey has been quite hard and there's like been so many things that just necessarily haven't gone my way and gone in, in ways by the people. And I've just always, I guess part of me has always done things to prove to other people that I can do these things. Mm-hmm. So like, in the back of my mind, I wanted them to see that, like, I can do all these things that like, yeah, everyone else is doing. And you're like, not a victim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people, including myself, when they get bullied, it's a survival mechanism, really. You have to create this sort of siege mentality. You have yeah. to create a me versus the world because that's the only way you get through Exactly, school. exactly. And that serves you for a time. Yeah. But it can be very problematic, as I found out, when you leave school and you have this protector subconsciously. Yeah because it creates barriers for you yeah. and uh if you have a me versus the world mentality you're not going to get you're mm-hmm, not going to get mm-hmm. as far as you want in life yeah how did you remove that how did you end up becoming to this place of zen and i don't think it's quite gone okay I yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. yet i think it's definitely still there but i guess the business has sort of shown me that like you're doing what you love people are seeing seeing the work that you love like you don't need to have that there anymore you mm-hmm. can sort of like breathe a little bit because mm. the beauty is in the work that you're producing and people are coming back for more and that should be enough for you to just let those things go let's reflect now on this business journey what's been your proudest achievement on it so far proudest achievement mm. do you know what it's not necessarily to do with the work i think my proudest achievement has got to be that I have created something that I'm like able to pay people's salaries, pay for people's like lives. I never thought in my life I'd ever be paying for like, I don't know how to describe it, like not that they rely on me to for them to live, but to be able to pay someone's yearly salary of an idea which was just formed in my bedroom, it's quite phenomenal. 
because especially in the world that we live in, in like the salaries, they, they aren't low. Cost of living crisis. Yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So like to be able to build something that people have full-time jobs with us mm. is such a... It's quite a humbling thing, I must yeah. imagine. I never thought I'd have employees or people working from the agency or people being with us like full-time. Like, that never was an idea that I ever had at the beginning and it just it just needed to happen because we grew so fast. Mm. So to be able to do that is like such a big thing. Mm. I just never thought I'd I'd be at that stage. You've now gotten the chance to work with artists like Drake, Rihanna, Ed Sheeran, who I I saw for free 12 years ago at a (laughs) Puma store right before he started. Did those campaigns even feel real when you had to deal with those artists? No, not at all. Like when the emails come in, it's like OVA Music wants to do a partnership with you. I'm like, sorry, what? (laughs) Like seeing these names like come into my inbox, I honestly am so 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 baffled. And I guess again, it, it's it, it's quite nice to know that they can trust in you because sometimes some of these artists you actually get to like meet and talk to and have an input. I won't say the artist's name, but like we had to do a a concert and we took influencers to the show, and the artist was approving single handedly every single person that was coming. Damn. But as in their number was, we were in a WhatsApp group and it was their number and they were literally approving people. And I was like, wow, like, I'm genuinely talking to this person like, <laughs> like right now. I've got to ask you though, what was Riri like? Oh, she's amazing. And as a final question, what has this business journey taught you about yourself? Taught me about myself. Wow, I don't know how to answer taught me about myself it's quite cliche but just believe in yourself yeah yeah li- literally that you can do it you can do whatever you want to do if you just put your heart and soul into it and really dedicate the time to doing it yeah believe in myself is definitely bang on we've spoken about tunde the ceo the business owner creative artist <laughs> and Forrest Collard founder. Yes. Let's go a bit deeper and talk about your own mental health journey, mate. So firstly, I ask all my special guests this question on this topic. Take me back to early life, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Tunde we meet here? Um, early experiences for mental health. Um, I guess it was just definitely just the bullying period of mm-hmm. my life. And I was very naughty. Okay. Off the back of that. Very, 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 very naughty. I kicked my teacher when I was like in school. Oh my it God. So bad. So How old were you at the time? Oh, uh, 11. Okay. So maybe say. not fully puberty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't causing some serious damage, <laughs> but definitely damage. Yeah. And I guess because no one really liked me, I was just quite like, I don't care. I can do what I want. Mm. I can be. It's interesting how bullying affects different people, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I just was quite reckless. Mm. Like, so reckless. And is that because you didn't value your life because of yeah. how it made people feel? I just thought, if people don't like me, like, what, what have I honestly got to yeah, lose? Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess when I started to think about it more and more is when, I, when my parents would get upset about the way I was acting up, like at school or at home or with family. And it's not until those moments when you like see your, like, my mum like be really upset is when you start thinking about like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm. And she knew you were being bullied? No. Okay. My mum didn't know I was being bullied till I was in year 10. So f- how many years after it started? So it started in year 7. Okay. So four years about. Four years, yeah. yeah. In year 10, this guy who lives on my road, he went on a golf trip with his dad and his name is after mine in the register. And my teacher had gone, Tunde. I said, yep. Then she goes, Frank. And I goes, oh, he's not here today. And she asked where he was, said he's on a golf trip with his dad. Gone a had my first period, second period, had break, third period, fourth period, lunch, was walking in the playground, I get pushed to a wall, why are you telling the teachers that Frank's not here today? I get a punch straight in my face, whole lip, busted open, I had to go to A&E, I got suspended, the other kid didn't. That was when I told my mum and dad that like, I was getting bullied at school because I'd never really had an injury like Mm -hmm. that before. And yeah, that was when. And were you friends with the guy who who you said? Friends-ish, because it was the next in the register, so we sat next to each other in the classroom, and because we also live on the same road, it was like, you'd go to school together, yeah. they'd talk to you, you were in lesson together, they'd talk to you, 
but nothing ever happened like after school or on weekends. Mm. We never really hang out. It was just like convenience. Right. So basically, he had gone on this bit sneakily with his dad. Yeah. You didn't know it was a sneaky no, thing. No, I had no idea. Yeah, you had no idea. And then no you idea. said it, and then that's why they did it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I mean, God. Yeah. I mean, I could do that. That could have easily been me who had done it. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so well, how did your parents react? I guess sort of blamed me a bit. Okay. I think. No one in my family had ever been in that situation before. My mum's the youngest out of seven. Oh, she's not getting bullied yeah. then. If they're all going to the same um, school. And all of her siblings' children are all older. Mm-hmm. And I guess, well, no one ever really knows what goes mm-hmm. behind closed doors. But my mum and her sisters and brothers are all quite close. And they've never expressed anything happening to their children. Right. That may be because they don't want to. Yeah. But I would have thought because they were so close, if they did, they would. Mm-hmm. And because they never did, I guess my mum's family had never experienced that problem. Was it, do you think that's a cultural thing sort of around disclosing that and then would it be an embarrassing thing for them to talk yes, about their friends 100%, and stuff? Yes, 100%. Are you Nigerian? I'm Nigerian, Nigerian yeah. Okay. 100%. Yeah. It's, it definitely is a cultural thing, like yeah. not disclosing that sort of information. And yeah, when I told my mum, she was just like, like, why did you tell the teacher? Like, why did you have to tell her? And it's just like, I didn't have to tell her. She just asked and I just, yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just you, answered. Like would, yeah. yeah, I didn't like run up to her and say to her, oh, by the way, Frank's yeah, here today yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. doing X, Y, Z. Like it was just in part of the conversation. And she was just like, you should keep your mouth quiet in school. Like you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. You know, these people. So finally, yeah, I hear it. I'm like, I want you to care about me. Like, why aren't yeah. you saying anything about like, about the other boy? That like, should be what you shouldn't do next time. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Okay. And, for the listeners as well, you were one of only three black people yeah. in your year, mm-hmm. not just black boys. I think black people altogether. So yeah. how did the bullying affect you from a mental health perspective when it came to your race? Because I understand it, it was also, there was also an anti-intellectual yeah. perspective to it too. Yeah, I um, definitely was made to feel that like I just shouldn't be there at place at that school because I actually ended up at that school because, like I said, I've got a large family. All my older cousins. When you say run of the litter, that's the one that's like... That's, but, uh, yeah, the smallest one. Yeah, that was basically... That's only a derogatory term. Yeah, that was, that. <laughs> that was basically Fire. me in the sense that like, all my cousins went to grammar schools, private schools. They were all very smart. They were oh, so like intelligent. intellectual run. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's worse? Yeah, so um, I didn't necessarily get into any of the like great schools well okay. I didn't get to any of the great schools so the school I went to was the worst one like in my borough like it was a very bad school and it was notorious for that but it was the only school I got into even mm-hmm. all the re- religious schools I didn't get into my school was notorious for having like really rough kids there mm. and so on so having that layer then obviously then being black as well in my school it was tough it was hard I used to get called the n-word every day holy shit every day this is not that long ago we're both around the same yeah. age because it was, it was also the, t- the period where I guess in songs as well, the error was getting like very ah. heavily used in the sense that people were noticing it being used and like... So US hip hop when it was massive. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. People would be playing a song and then the error would come on, they'd even... They'd point they, at they, you. They'd point yeah. at me like and be like laughing about it. But there's nothing you could do because it was like, it was one person against the 5,000. Okay, it wasn't necessarily 5,000, but like there was nothing mm. I could really do. Like I never really initiated anything in regards to any physical contact at school because I knew what would happen if I did. I only really just protected myself mm. when I needed. So you to. couldn't even like proactively try and like counter it because you knew that if you did that, no, no, the, the, yeah. the repercussions would be massive. Exa- exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember walking around in the playground once, and I don't know if you played at your school, but two boys would be like trying to get each other down to the ground, and everyone would be around them like sp- like spurring them. Ah, uh, kind of like swingers. I think the term yeah. was yeah. And I was actually in the playground, like minding my own business, and I was told like. Tunda, you've got to come and like get involved. And I was like, no, no, no. And I remember the boys just dragged me into this circle. And it was me and this guy like being forced to like take him to the ground. Mm. And I got him to the ground. So I won. And then everyone beat me up for getting him to the ground. because rushed you. Yeah, because I should have been the one to have been taken to the ground. So it's like even when you win. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. I mean, there's obviously a lot of commonalities between our experiences to do that i think yeah. my school was a little bit different in that it was probably like 65 to 45 sort of white to black so it was very okay. white working class kids yeah but there was a strong contingent of second generation nigerian Ghanaian yeah. kids yeah so if you were racist because one kid was he literally got chased out yeah. of school and never came <laughs> okay, back fair. so i mean there wasn't that but there was also horrific bullying i got horrifically bullied yeah. but do you know what 
weirdly, I never got bullied by like the toughest guys, like okay. the really, the gunmen, the yeah, road yeah, men. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really chat to them and they didn't really see me as a threat. Okay. It was always the people that saw me as a way of increasing their own social status or they saw me as the easy target oh yes yeah, yeah I so did you, you did you ever get that as yeah 100 well? yeah. there, there, there were definitely some people that just knew they could just yes they could push fraud the yeah just yeah. because it would make everyone else laugh yeah. and they'd they'd be more popular yeah they're definitely those people they were the, and they're, those ones i hate the most actually yeah out of all the people who bullied me because i'm like you knew do you know what yeah. actually now that you say that yes by all means i wasn't smart enough to get into grammar schools but when i did my year seven exams to find out what set i was in i was in the top set so even at a bad school i was in the top set and the people in my class were the ones that played football and rugby you know the popular sports mm-hmm. in school they were also popular but then the ones that were in the lower sets were the ones that were popular but they were the ones that were more the bullies right. they were the ones that would really like beat people up say mm-hmm. nasty things mm-hmm. so the people that were in my class that wanted to be more popular were the ones that were like the ones saying more like word right. word abuse and then the people that were in the lower sets were the be ones more that physical like, abuse yeah but okay. the more physical stuff yeah well do you know what it's very eye-opening that you said that a lot of the people who bullied you were uh, Wimbledon and Bull Boys and Bull Girls so if you're, <laughs> yeah. if you're listening and you're watching Wimbledon Bull Girls and Bull Boys <laughs> in the future some of them might be bullies in their school who knows <laughs> Who knows? It's fair to say the worst thing that ever happened to you, mate, was this attempted robbery you yeah. got basically inflicted upon and you were in Kingston Shopping Centre. Yeah. So just tell me about that day if you can and your memories of it and what happened. Yeah, so um, I was buying a new phone. Was this Motor Razor days? Was no. Was it height? Was it? It was actually Apple. So it was like, oh, when, okay. yeah. <laughs> the iPhone one brick. Yeah. yeah. I done well in school. My mum and dad wanted to like treat me to a new phone and I really wanted it. And I remember w- walking out with it in my hand and with my parents and these boys who weren't to my school tried to... That's so brazy that they you were with your parents and yeah. they were at your school. Not even like random kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus. Tried to grab like the bag like from me. My parents had never seen or ever been through anything like that before. I just remember my dad like just protecting me and like trying to help me. They didn't they didn't get it in the end. They were like shouting and stuff at us, like asking us to like to give it to them and it was just such a strange experience. Did that shock your parents? Like 100%. seeing it viscerally now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Especially we, we live in Kingston. Kingston is actually meant to be like a really nice area and especially around the shopping center as well like at that time like it was heaving like it was buzzing there was sort of it wasn't like, a quiet alley they were doing no this no exactly daylight, Broad daylight shopping center Broad yeah. daylight they just didn't realize kids were actually like that like actually just nasty people had they immigrated from nigeria yeah so they came so right. they came i think my dad was actually born here i can never remember the story okay but yeah they came here because, because i'm saying like the educational culture there is it's very, very different, different oh here. very yeah, different yeah. Here. disciplinarian yeah like, like, they all went to boarding yeah. school yeah, in nigeria say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, very, it's very 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 different over there i feel like everyone well from what i hear no one really gets like bullied and stuff when they were at school but i think they probably did but yeah it was, i guess it was quite surreal in the sense that like something like that had never happened before especially in front of my parents. I guess mm. I was quite embarrassed. Mm. Like, my parents sort of, like, see that. I never wanted my parents to think that anything was going wrong with me, like, growing up. Mm-hmm. And obviously for them to see that, like, firsthand was quite, like... Was that a day which changed their attitude towards how they conversated with you about it or they helped you with it or...? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it did change some things. Something about my mum is that she always likes to take things back to business as usual. She doesn't mm-hmm. like to let things affect her for so long. Because I think she knows, and what I've learned from her is that once you do, I mean, you, you need the time to process things, yes. But if you let things affect you for longer than it needs to affect you, you don't get stuff done. Sure. That's a very Nigerian mother yeah. sort of attitude. <laughs> yeah, be sad, but go Fo- over it yeah. quite quickly. Be sad, go over it, now focus on books. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, we also share a commonality today in being bullied that we were both spat on, essentially. Oh, yeah. You were spat on by those group of boys. Yeah. I was spat on by who I thought were my mates. I don't know what's worse, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But I mean, to have that inflicted upon you, how does that... I mean, I know how it felt for me. How does it... I can feel myself getting emotional by it now. Yeah. How, does it, how did it feel for you? It... Uh... I remember I was just being made a prefect as well. And I was in the wrong place at the wrong time no you weren't you were in the right place at the right time don't say that yeah okay yeah and I witnessed something but I didn't ever report it complain or do anything about what I'd seen and I remember going to school the next day and everyone queues up like when they line up to go into their room like for form mm-hmm. and a whole class were there whole class there and I was at the front because I got there early 
just hearing my name getting shouted down the corridor and they're like, why did you do snitching us? Why did you do snitching us? And I'm thinking like, snitch on what? Had no idea. And I had these boys like run up to me. Like when I tell you they were probably like year eight or year nine and their older brothers were the year above me. So, so they that's they how, they, yeah, that's yeah, how they knew, yeah. that's how they knew me. Yeah. Literally in the front of this queue and they're just shouting at me. And then before I knew it, just phlegm, just flew my face all over my suit. And just my whole class just laughing at me. No one wanting to help me. Jesus no one even like caring what had gone on. And I'd gone to go and see, we had Did like- Did the teacher witness this by the way? No teacher, okay. no teacher witnessed it. And I remember going to see like, I don't know if you had it at your school, but we had like PSOs, partial support officers. Uh, I don't think we had those. <laughs> it was something that was brought in to our school like midway through. So you had your like head of year and then your partial support was there to sort of support your head of year. Oh, okay. We might have had it, but not, not in that structure. Yeah. And they sort of like helped you like in terms of behavioural or if you felt like you weren't like right. doing well in class, that's what you'd go to them for. So then you didn't have to go and disturb your head of year who was then like, because your head of year also taught a subject, but your partial yes. support officer was just that full time. Okay, so, okay. So you see what I mean? I, yeah, my school weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my school wasn't that. And I remember going to her, and again, she just blamed me. The first words. Holy were, shit. Yeah. And I don't think she did it on purpose, but the first things from her mouth was like, why did you say anything? I was thinking, I didn't say anything. Mm. <laughs> and I remember just like getting more upset in front of her. I was like, I didn't say anything. You're meant to be here to help us. Mm. And I didn't say anything. I was quiet. By mm. all means, I saw it happen, but I kept my mouth to myself. The last thing I'm then want to do is then actually say something. And put yourself in more danger. Yeah, put yourself in more yeah. danger. So like, the fact that I didn't say anything, I couldn't win, basically. Mm. And yeah, Did was... that make you lose faith in the system? Oh, yeah, the, the system in quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like school at all. I didn't like mm. my teachers. Like, I had no confidence in anyone because even like teachers, like I had teachers that would sit in front of my parents and like, blame me for all Same. like in some like, some teachers in, like, I had par- all. in parents evening and like blame me for the reason as to why yep. i am getting bullied yeah what i could always get accusations of like disruption or something yeah. like that yeah. but it's not me that's even provoked it yeah, by yeah. all means i've retaliated but like it's taken a lot for me to, to eventually retaliate mm. and because my retaliation was bigger than the distraction in the first place that's what's then going to get remembered right mm. um, did anyone protect you in that point in school i'm, I'm saying outside of your parents any classmates anyone because I had people who protected me and it was normally strong, independent black women. They could do both. They were very, very nice when they wanted to be. And then when anyone threatened them, they were on crap. Yeah. They I mean, know who they are as well. They A lot of the times I saved my life at that point. There was one teacher. She was called Mrs. Drinkwater. Love her to absolute bit. She did help me like a lot during school. She was definitely like my rock throughout school. She was a partial support officer, but she wasn't my year. And her son was in my year at another school and I okay. and I sort of knew him. Yeah. So by knowing him, we had a rapport. So mm-hmm. she sort of like helped me in school and stuff. But I actually ended up moving school to his school. Oh, so you moved school in the end. Yeah, it was school that, okay. in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this kind of builds onto my next question then. What got you through it? It's a difficult question to answer now. Yeah. You must have had inner strength like I did that I didn't know I had. I just kept going. I think definitely the cultural upbringing and not failing just school, regardless of the life at school, but like getting an education is something that I could not get because my parents were so on me getting an education. So I just had to keep pushing through like subject after subject. It was almost like subject. a goal. Like if yeah. I get the education, I'll get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. So as soon as I get the GCSEs, I'm out. I'll get into a different yeah, school yeah, and exactly, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. As a CEO then, how did you manage these scars or stop the scars from becoming things that would become a hindrance to you in not just achieving, but supporting your employees and your staff? Mm. Do you know what? I actually use that billion to fuel everything that where we're at there's a lot of times i think about it and there's a lot of times i think about it, i'm like no i am going to sit here and do this bit of work i don't care what time it is because again i want to prove all these people wrong mm-hmm. that i can do it so it did fuel a lot of 
the passion to wanting to work hard and to keep going and to just push through and know that the rewards are going to come mm. when they come because there's obviously so many things have happened since then and the agency is being seen in so many different lights now and that is the reward in like pushing through and what happened to me at school is it fuels me every single day. like this is so weird so I want to say last week one of the guys that bullied me like heavily bullied me mm -hmm. he now has his own business and I have some friends now who went to the girls school of my school and they know the guys and I was just scrolling on Instagram and I get a follow I'm like what is this and it's this boy's oh, this wow. boy's business like he's now followed me and the agency so I was just thinking that like, this is such a weird 360. Did you feel triggered by that? I would. I've, that's happened to me before and I felt massively triggered. Triggered at first, but then too, I was like, this is actually quite funny that if I now receive a message which is like him wanting to use my services, I'd be like, this is so funny because not only did you bully me throughout school, you've now seen how successful I've been and what we're doing as a company. Now you want us to... I mean, I would succeed. be very unprofessional in terms of, <laughs> of fuck off, but I yeah. know you wouldn't, you wouldn't possibly do that as a CEO. Yeah. <laughs> and that's for the culture, for the business. It's um, definitely showed me that I just want to support everyone in whatever they do. And I want everyone to have a space where they can really grow and thrive and make them the better selves. Like mm. if there's anything that I can do to really push them forward, then I want to make sure I can provide them a space to allow them to do that. And how did you heal that in the child, that boy who was bullied? Oh, he's definitely not healed yet. Right, okay. <laughs> there are times where I sit and think about it and like I still feel like I'm not over some bits. Do you talk to him? Um, sometimes. Sometimes I think I talk to him to sort of get me out of a rut whenever I'm in one. And sometimes I talk to him to say, look, look where you are now in a more of a grateful sort of sense and grateful mm. sort of chat. So, yeah. There were two people in your life that have had a massive impact on your mental health journey as well, Tunde. And... They're called Chris and Priye. Yep. So just tell me why meeting them was such a catalyst for you. Meeting them really opened, like I said before, my eyes to being creative, but then also running a business and really hustling. Like they ran the music festival that I now work with them on. And they all did that like with full-time jobs and just their culture of wanting to excelling their full-time jobs but still doing this festival was just so impressive to me because I just didn't realise what it took to really do those things and they really showed me the way the light the journey and really made me feel like I can be accepted and I can do the things I want to do and the things that I love and, and I enjoy and they were just there for me when I needed the help and support at different stages of my life even to this day like, I'm so grateful for their lives their presence like it's only a couple of days ago that i want to now endeavor in a new thing and without even asking they're like okay i can get x x x x x to come down help you out dj got it all sorted and it's like and it didn't have to say can you help me it was just we are going to help you and they've always been like that and and it's so rare to find people that are like that mm. so meeting them when i did and really did ch change my life like and it was honestly the best thing ever. Mm. And how important is it for business people like you, CEOs who need that confidence or need that empowering to have mentors like Chris and Priya? Oh, 100% because you just... Uh, it's hard to describe. I just... I guess it goes back to when I was saying about like when you work with your friends, you don't want, you, you don't want to let them down. I just felt like they have poured all this love into me and my journey and wanting to make help it worth me. It now. Yeah. yeah. I want to show them that I am grateful for all of that advice. I am listening. I'm hearing. It's not wasted time. Yeah, it's not yeah, wasted time yeah, at all. Yeah. And I want them to see that like, I can do all those things that they said that I could do. I can listen. I can adapt. I can do all these things. So it was so important for me to listen, but then also react and acknowledge the things that they said and make those things into the like work those things into like working life and the way I do things just to show them that like I'm grateful for their mentorship because mm. it, it was amazing mm. like phenomenal so let's reflect on your mental health journey now so what has this mental health journey taught you about yourself mm. again a tough question <laughs> yeah very tough question <laughs> what has this mental health journey taught myself I think for me, again, it might sound really cliche, but 
just don't listen to others. Like, you know, like, what your heart wants. And, again, obviously, depending on circumstances, if you really want to do something, you can do it and keep pushing. Things aren't always going to go the way you want it to go, but when it does go your way, you're going to be feeling the best. And no other feeling can replace that. So just keep pushing and and working on the things that you love to do. Our final topic of conversation today, and it's one I try and have with all of my <laughs> okay. special guests, if we have time. It Perfect. is a general natter and chat about mental health. So firstly, yes. how is your mental health, mate? Um, good. I feel like it's a lot better than what it used to be, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely in a good place. I think I've got a lot of good people around me now. There are still times where I'm like freaking out, but definitely feel like it's in the best place it's ever been. Excellent, mate. And if you felt comfortable saying what mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day life? Wow, what a mouthful of a question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to make it, I have to make all the, uh, all the yeah. safeguards are in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't have any, you can say none. No, I do. I definitely feel like I feel like I'm not enough a lot. As validation like, comes back to the validation thing. Yeah. The self-doubt. Yeah. yeah. And I would definitely say I'm someone that has 100% have gonna, I can't even say this out loud, but I've definitely had like suicidal thoughts as well before. Mm. I've always thought like, like sometimes people's lives may just be better without mine because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like people, I can play a huge hindrance. The burden. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot better now, but there was a large period in my life where I did really, like, these two girls from school, the girls that went to the girls' school of my school, they had to come and, like, get me from somewhere because I was really going through it. But, again, I I think about it all the time. You can be in such a bad place and then you just, like, would life be better without my presence? Mm. I guess I don't really think about it as much as I have used to, but it's definitely something that I've lived with for a large part of my and life. And that comes back to the bully. Yeah. yeah. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? I think probably university. I think when, not shackles as such, but like <laughs> <laughs> leaving like home yes what you're used to and going to a, a new place with oh that's a massive squirrel sorry. i know yeah. <laughs> just, uh, for the listeners a squirrel just a very hench squirrel just ambled past my yeah. Yeah. being at university and being like really independent mm-hmm. that's i guess where i had to like really be a lot more aware of like surroundings what i'm doing how i'm dealing with those problems because you can't just run to mum and dad for help or your cousins for help. Like you had to really do it yourself. Do you know what I mean? So that was probably where I became like the most mm. self-aware. And can you remember the first conversation you ever had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And how did you look back on it? Did it feel like on the one hand, this big moment or a big burden or weight even lift off your shoulders? On the other, something quite easy, insignificant and normal to do. I think the very first time I spoke about it is when I just touched on before when those two girls came and found me and they sat outside my house. We sat outside for about three, four hours. And that was the first time I'd ever spoken about any feeling I'd ever had to anyone other than my family. I hadn't really touched it with my family, but mm-hmm. like I'd obviously touched on mm. bits and I really just spoke about everything, everything. And even that conversation really got me down because I didn't necessarily tell them for them to feel sorry for me. And you wouldn't know, no one does that. Yeah. But I was expecting them to to sort of feel closer to them. But I actually pushed them away. Really? Yeah. What, as in you did that or they, they went away? They, they did that. They spoke to me less. Really? Yeah. Do you think they Do you think they did that out of a sort of, like, they didn't want to stare at that pain? I think, sort of angle? I think it was that we were in year 12 or 11. Whenever you can drive. When can you drive? Uh, well, it's 17 in this country. So that would be year 12, the end of year 12, yeah. Um, or whenever you turn... 17 in year 12. And I guess at first they didn't realise the severity of it. But then as the conversations went on, I reckon they just probably felt that like, this is something that they don't want to have to bring on 
to them. I guess me pouring out to them sort of meant like, now that you know, you need to help him deal with it. And I guess knowing that... They didn't want that responsibility. Okay, well, that's sad. What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So it could be things people say to you, could be a sound, being in a particular social environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I think one thing that triggers it is when someone doesn't just say how something is. Okay, so authenticity, or yeah. in- inauthenticity, yeah. should I say. That really triggers it because I've lived a life where people have been so fake for mm. something. And when people just aren't authentic, it really does get me into a bad place. Cause it's like, I've only ever been authentic to yes. you. What makes you now think you could not be authentic back to me? Like, is this like the way I'm talking? And, I'm and just you start bla- to question I'm, yourself. Yeah, question yeah. myself, yeah. Mm. It's just things like that, that like, trigger like my brain to go into overthinking and that spiral yeah spirals spirals out of control and then positively what tools and methods do you use to improve your mental health or help you feel better which ones have worked maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't yeah therapy definitely helped Mm -hmm. i started therapy it started off good but then my therapist she didn't really react to the topics that i wanted to talk about like in a way that i thought they would have done so i stopped that and that sort of like I didn't feel confident in therapy after that moment. Okay. I want to start it again, but it didn't make me feel great about it. I don't want to then tell my life story to someone again to then have It's a lot those... of investment, isn't yeah, it? You need exactly. to make sure you pick the right therapist exactly. after you've stopped with another one. Yeah. yeah. And then also, my work helps. Okay. Like, whenever I do feel a bit bad, open up my laptop, do a bit of work. <laughs> You're probably one of the few people who says that. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, I love like my business partner will tell you that I love a system for everything. I love a tracker. I love tracking all loads of things. Like I open my laptop and I just make a tracker. Like the other day I felt really down at work. So I opened up reason called Notion and I built a table just to track all the different budget sheets that we've got for all the different projects. And I found so much love from doing it. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is organization. So, yeah, yeah. Man. yeah, yeah. Um, so, so doing those things that takes me out of it sometimes mm. as well. What is the best book, or as I call it, mental health bible you've read for your mental health? It can be self-help or mental health related. Doesn't exclusively have to be. Can be fiction. Yeah. If you can't think of a book, podcast, TV show, any piece of popular culture, I've got two. Okay, I simply want three. Give me three. The book I've not actually finished reading. Okay, but what I have read of it is great. It's called The Subtle Art of. Oh, Mark. that's come up a few times. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Manson for the yeah. listeners who don't know, and it's just great. Like his point of view. The way he talks about things. Obviously, you can't do all those things all the time, but like, there are things in there that, like, wow, like, yeah, I can, I can think like this and do things like this. And then another book I've not finished is Shoe Dog. Okay. Which is the, What's that? Who's that by? Uh, Nike, okay. the owner of Nike. It's his story about how he started Nike. Oh wow! Okay. I'm just at the crux of Nike becoming a thing because you know he actually lived in Oregon where the Nike head office mm-hmm. is. That's also a good book I need to finish. Then I do listen to two podcasts, which I think are so inspiring. Jay Shetty, which I'm sure you've heard. I love Stephen Bartlett's Star CEO podcast as well. I love every episode. There are some people that I find so interesting, like Ben Francis, owner of Gymshark. Gymshark, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think his story is spectacular. And I was in awe listening to him on Stephen Bartlett. Just hearing his journey again, he's about mental health as well. How he's dealt with working with people that he doesn't necessarily get on with. Or how he makes a culture for his staff to want to stay in the company. And how it's best to hire people that are better than you to make your mm, company better. I guess from your perspective as a CEO as well. Yeah, must exactly. Be really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things like that is what um, I like to read and listen to. I won't ask you if I'm a better interviewer or, or Stephen Bartlett. No, so. I think you're great. Okay. I think... With Stephen Bartlett, <laughs> I'm not seeking validation. I promise that was a joke. No, no, no. With, with, with Stephen Bartlett, I think he just wants to listen, listen, mm. listen, listen. Whereas I feel like we built more of a rapport. I was gonna say on camera, I was not on camera, but what would you say this is? No, not on, yet, not yet. Once more cash. Yeah. What, 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 what we say this is on audio, air, on audio, yeah. <laughs> and we're able to bounce off each other. I feel like with him, it's more like you're just listening to the person that he's talking to. Just pour and pour and pour. Yeah, there's definitely a balance to be struck and I feel like my interviewing style, I try to listen as much as I can. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of podcasts and interviewers who don't actually listen that well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think especially in the mental health sphere, it's why I put so much effort and time into guests. It's why we have the phone calls. It's why we make sure that everything is completely to your liking because if that's not to your liking, then how are you going to be able to open up to me? Yeah, exactly. Especially when we've never met. We only met at... Yeah, Bloody, the event, yeah. Uh, the event gig. Yeah. So, you know, 
if I can't do that, then I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly. I've got two questions left. The first one is, if there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, what would it be and why? A mantra? Like a quote or a phrase or a saying. I mean, if you can't think of something, I'm sure you, the Forest Collard mission is, you can use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just keep going. Just keep going. As simple as that. As simple as that, yeah. Mm. Just keep going. Okay, brilliant. And as a final question, yeah. what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? I think just talking more. I think just talk more out loud about what's going on in your head with friends, family, therapists, just talking more because i think once other people see you talking more they feel like they can then talk about it and want to talk about it because so many men just don't say anything and it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds it comes out in anger it yeah, comes out in exactly. really hard emotions yeah i have a friend who wasn't necessarily my close friend but i know he was dealing with mental health issues and i don't think he took about it enough and unfortunately a couple weeks ago he actually took his life and it's not until those situations where you're like seeing well, your face isn't it yeah, yeah. it's like more people need to be talking about their problems. Not necessarily talking about the problems for people to hear what they're talking about, but to be actively showing that they are talking about it so other people can be made to feel comfortable talking about it and getting the help that they need if they need help to make them feel better and those sorts of things. Because I definitely only started talking about it because I started hearing people talk about it or was made to feel comfortable. It was mm. okay to talk about it. Mm. And if I didn't have one of those situations, I definitely wouldn't be sat on this podcast talking about it right now. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and you are. And here you are <laughs> yeah. now, mate. Exactly, so yeah. And on that wonderful note, Tunde Okansina, it has been an absolute pleasure, my man. Thank you so much for coming on, thank for just checking in podcasts and talking to me. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great time. I've enjoyed it so much. So thank you. <laughs> Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In pod. A massive thank you to Tunde for being my special guest, for telling me about his business journey and the story of Forrest Collard and for letting me check in with him. I'll put some links to where you can follow Tunde and follow his brand on social media in the show notes. As always, thank you to all the vendors who tuned into this episode. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends, tell your work colleagues about it, tell your family about it. If you're feeling generous, please help us by writing a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing here at Vent and want to support us further, please go to our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or buy a Vent t-shirt. Both of those links are on our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Vent.